All right, Black Girl from Eugene. I'm here with Isaiah Wagner. Welcome to the show, Isaiah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so today is Sunday. It's been a long, long ass week. And we are here. We're going to have a deep conversation. So I want everybody to get ready, have a seat, um, put your ears on. Let's listen critically. Let's listen so that we can learn. Let's try not to prejudge the situation and just hear what we all have to say. Before we get started, I want to say thank you to my Patreons. Um, I've been listening to my audio and y'all are really hanging in there because that audio is rough. And I just want to tell you that I have a person who is helping me with my audio now and we're buying new speakers and we're going to buy new computers and I'm getting all this set up and then we're going to have like the best audio on my podcast in the next couple weeks. And I'm so excited because you'll be able to hear me exclusively, not all the noise in the background. So I'm super happy about it and I'm really, really thankful that you guys have held on so well. <laughs> listen to my audio the way it sounds um, I really appreciate you if you want to support me and you want to continue this podcast going coming on the air like, like it has every single week please visit my patreon uh, patreon.com forward slash black girl from Eugene underscore one and it will be in the show notes all right Isaiah how are you doing well all right so we saw, we were talking before we came on the show, and I wanted everyone to know that Isaiah actually went to school. We just found out our families are like, he went to school with my nephew and my niece and my brother. So we've, I've actually probably seen you as a young child <laughs> and didn't realize I was seeing, um, you know, Isaiah Wagner. So thank you for that. We, we are, you know how it is being in Eugene, you know, it, the cluster, it's like not six... What is it called? Six, what is it, of separation? It's more like two, what's it called? Seven? Six degrees. Six degrees, that's what it is. Six degrees of separation. It's more like two degrees of separation than you yeah. do. You run into, if you run into you once, you're going to run into it like four more times. Okay, so Isaiah, you are wanting to run for mayor of Eugene in 2020 as a write-in candidate. And you've been doing well going through the motions of this. And this has happened pretty quickly for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I know that I met Isaiah officially in this capacity. Well, I've never met you actually in this capacity. It was something, someone in a, uh, the Black Lives Matter speech um, with Maddie and Spencer back in May. I think it was the first time I saw you actually up. Um, and so since then, that has not been very long that you've escalated from that to this, <laughs> to mayor. How did you, how did you jump that, that ship? That was quick. Uh, I mean, that's that's horrible. The first time you saw me on stage was that particular speech. I think that a lot of people got to know me from that speech, um, unfortunately. Uh, but from going from that to this was just, um, I was looking at what we had currently. I was looking at who was running against what we had currently, and I didn't see anything. I, I waited for someone to step up, and no one wanted to step up, so I just took that leap. What do you mean what we had? Uh, with, with our current mayor. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so what what do you feel like with the current mayor versus you as mayor that you would want to do differently? Uh, I would say more open dialogue uh, throughout the community and uh, not offering so much lip service but more action when it comes to the homeless community. Um, we have a lot of high-rise apartments coming into, into town and being built and I, I think that what the community really wants to see is affordable housing mm. through all of that. We don't want to see $2,500 
two-bedroom apartments that no one can afford, especially right. during a pandemic where we have businesses being shut down and, and things closing up and kids not being able to go to school. So you have single parents having to stay home and figure out how to manage and, and do that. And the cost of living shouldn't eat up the cost of your groceries and the cost of everything else mm -hmm. that comes along with living in America. Right. So you're, you're basically your platform is based in, in for the housing crisis. Yes, uh, homelessness, housing crisis, and um, you know, getting everybody at the table when it comes to, to, to talking about actual police reform and not just reforming after year after year after year. It's what does education look like um, throughout the community to say, hey, look, we have alternative services that, that we can offer. And when we're all um, taught from a young age that 911 is the end all be all, it, that's kind of where the issue lies as well. Okay. So now, I, I, you know, my family has been in the community for a really long time doing social justice work for a really long time. Before myself, before my brother, before that was my dad, right? And um, this is like in the 70s. And uh, there's a real direct reason why um, the Mims House is a, is a place of choice for the NAACP, why that whole restoration came about was very much historic, but family, but impersonal, right? So. For, for the history of po the politics, how long have you been in politics? How long have you been like in this realm of, of wanting to change the community and being involved in the level of running for mayor? So being involved in, in running for a layer, uh, uh, the mayor position in politics, not very long. Um, when it comes to wanting to change my community, ask the right questions and constantly having questions myself as why is this not okay and why is that okay and why is this not okay? It, it's a constant battle back and forth so I feel like I have gathered some of the right questions that I, I would like to have answered and I think that with local politics um, and, and nationwide politics that people don't really get involved too much it's been historically something that's for older people mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the sense we've all gotten into and it's just when you're 18 years old these older people are making these decisions for you and people that are 18 have to understand that. Our younger generation has to understand that. And so I kind of bring um, that sense of, I think that if it's somebody like myself, I'm gonna bring more attention to what's going on with local politics. Mm -hmm. And um, that that's initially why you know, I've, I've stepped in this area. So you haven't done it for a long time. You're just Absolutely like, not. You're just no. like, I see a problem, I'm just gonna step into it and see what I can do about it. Yeah. So, um, so you're okay with just like, I don't know how to do this, I'm just learning how I'm doing it as I go? It That's a scary thing to do, you well, know, especially in politics. <laughs> to be completely honest, we want these people from Harvard Law or Harvard Business and, and with these political degrees and, and, and all these different things that don't equate to what the common person is going through in the streets. We want these people that have been bred with a silver spoon in their mouth and didn't have the same opportunities, had more opportunities than people like that look like us um, and the people that look in, like in this in this town. Now, I'm not saying that we have people with fancy degrees and yada, yada, yada here. I'm just saying that we've seen time and time again that that doesn't necessarily make you qualified. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can speak for the people that have lived on the streets, that have gone through our our, our own education system that have have to sit and wait in line at urgent care and have to wait in line at um, uh, you know uh, the emergency room when you when your child is sick and you you're freaking out because of the temperature and no one's wanting to help and you mm -hmm. know we've all been sitting there frustrated when it comes to not 
coming from those type of backgrounds. And so I come from that frustration background to say, hey, look, politics, there's a lot of jargon involved with it. They use big fancy words and blanket statements to get over things that are really tough. Mm -hmm. And I'm tired of that. I'm willing to say, I don't know, but I will find somebody who does know. Mm -hmm. I will get the right person in who's qualified. I will bring everybody that's to the table and say, hey, let's figure this out together. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The, the one thing I learned growing up was ask a lot of questions, and if you don't know something, be honest about it so someone can show you. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of, of, of truth in that sense of what I can kind of bring. And like I said, it's, it's about making sure everybody understands because so many people don't. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's important. And I want to go back because what you're saying is, is like, technically sounds exactly right. And, and I think it probably is. But I, having my, my background being in government work, where mm -hmm. I worked for the state, for like seven, eight years, um, it's hard to come in not knowing anything because it, the, the system is so is so thick with jargon, right? right. Um, you don't, people don't speak in English when you, once you're working in the government. We speak in different, like, you know, acronyms and, and, and there's just a, diff a whole different language right. that goes down. So when you're going in and, and this is the space you're going to, to the level of mayor, it's a big step. It's Absolutely. a big step. Especially now with what I, I asked people to write me questions and y'all did and some y'all didn't so you're just gonna have to go with who did and um, the number one thing that happened when I asked people to come to these questions was the fact that you're representing yourself as the first black mayor right okay. and so being that you're saying that that's that's a, a point of emphasis yes of emphasis Sorry, I don't no no you're totally fine it's excellent the, uh, as a black man we got to get back into the background right and because the first thing that I do as a black woman coming from Eugene is the first thing I do is I don't ever I'm never impressed with the fact that somebody is black and they're showing up mm -hmm. that's not to me I, I wasn't raised in Eugene to the point where being having black skin qualifies you to speak on black terms mm -hmm. I know that being raised in Eugene there's a different level of, like I talked about, a black consciousness that is very uniquely Eugene, very uniquely Pacific Northwest. It doesn't actually spread far outside the Pacific Northwest the way that we grew up being black in the Pacific Northwest. So I think when someone's representing themselves as, as representing black culture or representing black co uh, community in Eugene, for me, being who I am and who what I know, I like to ask more questions. The first question is, how are you qualified? Because the one thing that I don't want is people putting black people in positions that we are not qualified to do and then saying, see, look, we put a black person in there and they didn't know what they were doing. We tried, it didn't work, sorry. You, that's, I mean, that's a fair assessment. I've seen it happen, you know what I mean? Because all they want to do is play diversity and put a black person up there and that black person needs to be vetted. Right? Yeah. Because we have black people who are qualified, not just for what you're talking about doing, but anything. Don't just grab the first black person off the street and be like, look, we found a black person. You see right. what I'm saying? Right. So that <laughs> that's yeah. the one thing. So it's important to me that I say, okay, you're standing here or you're sitting here. You're a black man, it grew up in Eugene. I'd like to know more about that. So for me, now we know that um, you are biracial, mm -hmm. right? Your, your father is white. And Mexican. And white and Mexican. And now we need to say that because a lot of people have been writing in these questions like his dad's, uh, his dad's white, but the truth is his dad's biracial. His dad is Mexican and white. Which First language was Spanish. Okay, that's important to know because that means he's not coming from a perspective of, of this, this lily liberal whiteness. He actually has experience of a person of color at least being raised 
speaking Spanish, understanding being othered. Mm -hmm. That's really an, impor an important perspective to have when you're growing up. Generally, the privilege of having a white parent means that they don't, or privilege that the white parent has is not actually being able to bridge over with being othered in the community. So having your dad being biracial himself actually does give a, a little perspective on that spot. Okay, so you were raised by a biracial father. Yes. And Eugene? Yes. And you were born here? Yes. Okay, all of us, born, you were born Second Heart? Yes. Yeah, me too. Okay. <laughs> Right, everybody who's born in Eugene, like, we're all Sacred Heart babies. So there we go. Original Sacred Heart. The original Sacred Heart, right? Okay. So, um, I think when we go back down and we talk about representation as a, um, <laughs> representation as a, as a black man, uh, growing up in Eugene, it's hard to say that, what, what, what is your experience? What is your experience when you're saying you're relating to being like the first, to black community? What is your experience? growing up as a black man in Eugene that you can relate to this black community? Um, feeling like our culture's not been around here. Mm -hmm. when, when I went through schools, it was the first time, other than my siblings, that I saw black people in Eugene. Um, I saw more more Hispanic versus black. Uh, I, I, I had one person of color uh, in the same grade that I can remember, which is my cousin Isaiah Wilson. And um, so, it was it was it was tough kind of trying to figure out exactly who I was as a person um, going through this 4J school system and I know that you I, I don't know if you have or have not but it's they kind of it's not that they make you black but they make you see that you're that you're black as a black person the um, deprivation when, of being black yeah yeah you, you when before the teacher reads to kill a mockingbird and the n-word comes up it's that talk that she has with the whole class but it's based to you mm -hmm. and it's just that being singled out being the person who you know going through the mo most of the stereotypes i was voted in in school me and the <laughs> only other black girl we were both voted to be most likely beyonce and 50 cent like who were the two most likely <laughs> right. to them? Well, yeah, you found somebody black and you grabbed them off the street, right. essentially. And so that, that's what I'm saying. It's like those type of different stigmas growing up, um, not seeing anybody that was an educator until I got to the um, middle school and then high school level that was a person of color. Um, no one looks like, you know, it's just, it was tough having no one look like you. And, and then you have to get most of, of your home cooking from home. Um, from my two sisters that lived in Delaware uh, growing up predominantly um, from my grandmother who I stayed with every single summer up until I was in high school we stayed three months every single summer and my grandmother is the fourth black woman to graduate with her PhD from the University of Oregon in education. Nice. So So you went now she wasn't here though. When you went to go stay with her in the summertime she was No, she moved to Delaware because she that's where she has her her, her um her job she got a job mm -hmm. at the she's a was the president of Delaware State University and worked with Joe Biden. Okay. And you that's your grandmother. Yes. And that's who you visited every summer every growing summer, up? Yes. Okay. Um so when you as you're growing and as I'm listening to you this is something that is very common with black folks in Eugene that is like we and I and I do facilitation I do anti-racism facilitation uh, professionally for a living and the one thing that I'm always talking about to white white folks is that white folks 
want to focus on the deprivation of black people. They don't recognize the actual wellness of black people. So I'm going to challenge you with that because a lot of people who grew up in Eugene are fighting to show up that they are black and that black is meaningful and that black has value. And so we're always trying, not we, but this community in Eugene is, as black folks here, have this, this need to be validated by the oppressor or the colonizer or however you want it, the white supremacy that we all live through. And so it's this constant battle of I am valuable, I am valuable. But then it's like they're talking to the people who are oppressing them, not to each other, to, to um, like collectively come together as a community and lift each other up. So even with what you're describing as you growing up here, I could say the very same thing about myself, my children, my grandchildren. Like it's this 4J Eugene is 4J and is Eugene. They struggle <laughs> hard with, with diversity, anti-racism, anti-blackness, and inclusivity. They struggle, struggle, struggle to be very gently, to be very gently said. So what I'd like to hear from you is that in, in, your, uh, in your representation, in your opportunity to represent black people from Eugene, how can you uh, flip that narrative to, a, to not one of deprivation, but to one of collectivity, that, that the community can come together collectively and see each other as valuable, not necessarily to the, to the, the uh, answer to the white folks who are watching us? That's a big, that's a huge, huge task to, to, to that's a big, it's a big barrier to break down because to me within that question is kind of like, are you going to be able to solve racism almost? It's not solving racism, it's almost, just you're representing black folks. Well, yeah, right, right, right. But it's just, how am I going to be able to bridge that, I, I, am I being able to bridge that gap between the, the, that, that barrier that's pretty much holding up racism today within our own community uh, and and try to get people to change their minds, essentially? No, no, no. We can't change white folks' minds. Right. Right? It's each other. Right. And you what I'm saying is... Within, yeah. Right. So what I'm saying is, when you have... If you're a black representative... When you're, you're representing blackness, you're a black mayor, right? Yeah. Let's say you win. Let's say you're the mayor, right? You're representing black folks. Right. So when the words that come out of your mouth are about deprivation of black people, that further divides black folks for the, the strength within the community, black community itself. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is that I'm not worried about how white folks feel about us. I'm worried about how other black people feel about each other. And if Absolutely. you're representing black people, how do you feel about the black community being together, not separated? I think it's um, extremely important based off of the fact that when I didn't have a lot of people or grow up with a lot of people that look like myself, when I was able to essentially find people that looked like myself or uh, figure out that I had a connection of being family with, with a member who was family of the Reynolds family. And now my cousins, Tyler, Desmond, you know, all these, uh, Stefan, all these younger uh, black folks that I had uh, that, that were in the school system like me that I could see that looked the same color as me going through Sheldon and being able to have that connection with them as people who shared the same culture mm -hmm. of, of being able to talk about the things that it was tough to talk about with my white friends that they didn't get that they were able to get and so I think it's very important to bridge that gap and to get to get by folks to stop acting like crabs in a barrel when it comes down to certain things essentially mm -hmm. because we we have to uplift each other we have to see when we make a mistake call it out 
but at that same time, remember how we have forgiveness for everyone. Right. So, and so essentially, to me, I think what's important is, is getting these people to the table, getting our elders essentially to the table that have been around here for a while and having a discussion of what can, what, is, what, what do people want. A lot of the times I hear black, black businesses want loans. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to have the same opportunities. And to me, that's something I'm like, why isn't our current government talking about this type of thing? Mm-hmm. And so that's my part of the representation. It's listening. It's critically thinking on the on the on the issue at hand, and then it's offering. Um, essentially, I can't come up here and say, uh, you know, I'm here in this daishiki and I'm, I'm blacker than ever. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna say that because um, I've never been that. Mm-hmm. Um, because that would be that would be me uh, mis portraying myself right misrepresentation because i have i have so many different pieces to me that's in my culture Mm -hmm. as well um so i guess it would be fair to say like it would it would be difficult for you to say that you i mean because i i'm hearing you and the first thing that most people say is we got to bring our elders together right but then at the same in the same breath we're saying that the young folks are the ones who need to bring the change right so in that in that idea like I know I've been here I'm, I'm 43 years old like I said you were born when my nephew was but y'all the same age mm-hmm. right? I remember playing with the babies right so I'm looking at the young folks and I'm looking at the older folks and I'm seeing that we're having two very different conversations right. but I'm but I'm also seeing that there's not a lot of listening going on and there's not a lot of bridging going on right so the so the conversation is divided as of how to do these things but the truth of it is in my opinion the way that I see the black community here is that um, us being able to see and talk to each other in a way that's uplifting period you know uh, I don't the crab in the, the crab in the pot type of scenario for me um, is is again like a conversation about the the resources from white folks I'm more concerned about how we see if you say something which we're going to talk about like mm-hmm. the comments that were made uh, at different speeches if you say something Black folks who are watching you want to be able to say, I stand behind Isaiah, right? right? Now, because he, he represents our values, he represents our, our upliftment, he represents our, progr- our progress, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's in the platform of homelessness, even if it's in the platform of, of um, the housing crisis, that we know if Isaiah's at the table, he's not going to be throwing black folks under the table, right? right. He's going right. to understand how we feel about being in this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's a, that's a turning point. So when we turn this conversation to speeches that you've had, that this is definitely questions that have come up about um, your your views about women, mm-hmm. black women in uh, specifically. Right. Right. Now there's a comment that you made, and I try I tried forever to like get the exact quote. I was looking through videos, and I was cause I didn't want to misquote you. Yeah. And people were like, oh, he said this, he said that, and I was like, I need to find out what the hell he actually said, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Forgive me if it's not exactly what you were saying. I, I can tell you. Or I remember. Remember that? I, I've watched it a thousand times myself. <laughs> so, so, well, the thing is, is you got to to learn from something. You have to go back and see what the root of the problem is. Well, so, yeah. So, what, I mean, because that came out your mouth real easy. So, I need to yeah. understand, because we're going to talk about misogyny. This is mm-hmm. 2020. We have, like, no space for Absolutely. this. Especially in the black community where black women are struggling to be recognized for, for our intellect. I say it on this show all the time. There's been years consecutively that black women are the most, uh, highest educated people in the United States are black women. Yet, we don't have black women who are are being able to run 
for office. We don't have black women who are being considered, you know, CEOs and jobs. We have them, but we ain't talking about them. Right. Even the rates of, of um, people being murdered by police officers, there's black men and black women right underneath them. The percentage is not very far, but yet we don't talk about the black women being executed the way that black men are. Right. So black women are, are in history kind of erased into the background, although we are always very present. Right. So having someone representing black folks talk about black women with the comment that you made coming off misogynistic, that's how people have labeled it, mm -hmm. is super problematic. So what is it that you said, so I don't misquote you? Okay, I said, uh, my God, is there anything more beautiful than a black woman twerking? Oh, I yeah, mean, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, if she, if she turns around, if every black woman turned around in this room, in this, in this, at this march, we'd all know why black lives really matter. That's what you said? That's exactly what I said. For why in the hell would you say that? <laughs> that is the worst shit ever, Isaiah. What are you doing? I'm not laughing based off of what I said. I'm, I'm just... That is the... Okay, so now that you've watched that a thousand times, please let me understand how you understand how that was... Before I explain myself away, let's, yeah. let's, let's begin with this. I said those comments at a BLM rally or mar march. Yeah. I perpetuated the sexualization of women yes. that trivialize women based off of what they have, their, their tools and equipment. And as, as, as a human, I am sorry before being a black man first. Mm -hmm. But as a human, I am, a, I am sorry because of, of what exactly, what was said and the damage it can cause. Well, can cause, but did cause. Did so, cause, well, what I mean by can is by, it, once you do, once you, once you say these type of things, you're showing it, for me, I'm showing the younger generation as another man, a younger boy, that it's okay to think or say these type of things. So let me go back. Okay, first of all, I, I have to stop you with the tools and equipment. It's the body. <laughs> right. <laughs> a woman's body, not tools or equipment. That's important, right? right? Right. Because these are, you're not representing just men. These are little girls that are going to look at you too, right? right? So, and I understand you have a daughter, right? Yes. And I, so she's not developing tools. She's developing her body, right? right? right. So the thing is, is to respectfully understand how this comes across is misogynistic. Right. That's the part that sticks hard because it's if you're looking at a person and and describing a person and the description of the person comes across like tools and equipment that that doesn't come across where you're yes. thinking of equity right right and see that's what i'm saying that's one of the things where i'm, I'm misspeaking i'm trying to be as correct as i can without but i want you to be to honest well, the, yeah oh, okay so honestly like I said, it's talking about the woman's a woman's body. Uh, you won't know how big a fool is until they open their mouth. Mm -hmm. And I opened up my mouth to be that fool. I played right into the hands of the of the, of the ones I shouldn't have played into. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's it's about understanding that and having those proper conversations. Now, had I not said that, I could have still felt that way, and you guys would have all loved me. I could have been on here with all happy, joyous questions. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I made mistakes lets me come up here, be honest be candid and say what I did was absolutely wrong. What are the dangers that go with that? You have men out there looking at a woman who wants to pull out her breasts and breastfeed her, breastfeed her child as a sexual object versus as a part of her body that's used 
two feet of a, a child. Mm-hmm. Nurturing, right. So you can go to Africa and you can see both sexes walking around without clothes mm-hmm. because they know how not to sexualize each other. It's a common thing. This is someone's body. Did I know this previously? Absolutely. Did I know it to this extent? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And so it was able, it was, for me, it was taking those tongue lashings and seeing why, seeing who I hurt for those different reasons and then getting educated on it. So how have you um, educated yourself on it? And, and not, not from a classroom, not from anything that goes along with that. I've got educated myself through talking to my brown siblings who are women, by talking to my brown family who are women, talking to other women of, uh, that aren't of color um, to understand exactly what it what it's all entailing and what it's all about um like i said i mean it's really inexcusable the only thing you can say is i apologize for what i did and i understand why it's so wrong from these conversations why it hurts so many people because women specifically women of color have been fighting since the beginning of time to get their get their get their share and doing that, perpetuating women that trivializes them for, based off of their sexuality discredits all women mm-hmm. on a large scale. And as a black man, going up there and saying that, it's making it seem like it's okay when it's absolutely not okay. Did you ever publicly apologize? I know someone apologized for so, you, but did you ever... Pu- no, I publicly apologized uh, at one of our meetings, uh, one of our uh, marches. Black yeah, Black okay. Unity marches. Mm-hmm. Um, on a public scale there where I said I was wrong. Um, I came out and initially apologized once it happened, but it wasn't, it was a non-apology because it was based off of emotions and not based off of actually seeing what the root of the issue was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot of people had an issue with the non-apology and I, I acknowledge that because I was acting purely off of emotions of, I didn't do that, I'm not, uh, I, what, what, misogynistic, right. you know, it's just all those things in your mind, you get so defensive, like, I'm not any of these things, but then you gotta step back and be like, you just said these things, mm-hmm. now you need to be accountable for the shit that you said, excuse me, I'm right. gonna cut, for oh, the yeah. stuff that comes out your mouth that shouldn't come out your mouth. Mm-hmm. But also, be able to come into these areas and these seats and explain exactly what was said, why it's not okay. So you feel like you still have work to do? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think I'll always have work to do. Mm-hmm. I'll never not have work to do. And having the daughter has taught me, I can't just sit there and say everybody needs to have a daughter, but you know, it will mold a man a lot to see exactly, ask you those type of questions. Are you that man that you want your daughter to be with? And if the answer is no, you got to change. To me, I, for me being 43 and you being 30, like I'm surprised that your age, that you would have that vocabulary, to be honest, because I was like, didn't we even... We, I feel like we were doing a lot of work <laughs> with our children to for, for our boys to understand that there's nothing about a black woman or I say black woman now or a woman's body that defines her intellect or her value. But so I'm surprised that that even that that was even something that came out. And I mean, where did that come from? Um, so getting away from the apology side where I just explaining myself because yes. this has nothing to do with the apology. Because I want to get the whole picture of the um, where, where, it, where it came mm-hmm. from was that comedy is something that I love. I was looking at it merely as a joke. And like I said, this has nothing to do with the apology. I was looking at it merely as I saw all these different people go up and kind of give the same regurgitated speech about black lives. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have something that was going to spark the mood 
and I said it obviously you know the, the stuff I said was just not okay I should have had a well thought out actual educated joke to come out to lighten the mood versus just here I'm gonna speak off cuff and just say say something stupid in my head and like I said it, it where that, that that last part came from that meme that was sh that always shared about when she turned around that mm -hmm. was when we seen Black Lives Matter and so I always thought that was a funny meme shared from my older sister to me um, back in 2016 when I was living in East St. Louis and uh, that's when Mike Brown got shot up in Ferguson mm -hmm. um, but that was something that that's when I was doing comedy so uh, at, a, at a bigger scale, I was going out to clubs in St. Louis and telling, telling, telling jokes and stuff like that. And so that was something I was using in my material that at the time, when I was at, on stage and, and you know, in, that, in that moment, it was funny. But yeah, coming, I, coming to a different event when it's not the time or place. Right. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not in a comedy room. Right. You know what I mean? It's a time to be serious. That's why the seven other people had the message to be serious, but the one fool didn't. So, I mean, it's kind of like know your audience as well. I mean, I'm assuming when you're in East St. Louis, my parents lived, grew up in St. Louis, um, and I, I'm assuming there wasn't white folks in that comedy no. room. Nope. So, so n understanding the difference in culture um, yeah. and being that, like, that joke uh, means absolutely something totally different. With saying the way you, what you're saying in the context in which you're thinking in a, in a small, you know, comedy club in East St. Louis, saying that, is a complete different context, a completely different right. storyline than to just say it out loud. So that's kind of the what I'm saying to begin with of the understanding of like who you are, where you are, right? right? So that's that's part of that. It's like to being able to to assimilate your ideas to like I said, what the version of blackness that you grew up with, um, you know, through the summers with your fit with your siblings, and then the version of blackness that you're living every yeah, day here absolutely. it actually doesn't mix <laughs> it, you you have to mix it in a very particular way and manner and understanding who and where and what you are dealing with it's code switching it's bicultural it's like you can't do that and do this together it doesn't fit does that make sense right. so it's like kind of understanding that um idea and not to say i'm not going to even explain how that joke would make sense in the black community because that's not who we're talking to right now and right. they won't get that and they and it will be confusing for everybody and like like it was um it is misogynistic right there's there's issues within the black community with black women anyway too that's right. a conversation for black folks to have um so this is this is uh an interesting perspective and an interesting way that you came about doing that but to me from my perspective it, it's more along the line of not being able to integrate a level of blackness like east st louis to a level of blackness like eugene and see where it connects and disconnects. That's how I saw that, like what you just explained. But other people will get their own opinion of what, what right, just happened, right? right? right. So, and, and misogyny is complicated because it's taught, just like racism is complicated because it's taught. When it's, we are absolutely ingrained in, in believing and understanding that, that girls go second, you know? Um, and uh, LGBT goes third, trans goes fourth. Like, it go, I mean, you know, we uh, in terms of other, in terms of um, like acceptance, you know what I'm saying? So it feels like uh, that's why I was just like, I when I look at my daughter who's 17 and my other daughter who's 21 and my son is 25, they that conversation doesn't come out their mouth like it did when I was their age. Like sexist. Con so I was surprised. And so now what you're saying, I I'm almost. I don't understand and I do understand at the same time but it's just the thought process of like 
what was the conversation between your friends? It sounds like the, when you got this conversation, people, your family came at you and was like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. it feels like you were standing there and people were coming um, at you and you were misunderstood. Like, so my, my, none of my white male friends came at me. They all was like... Thought it was hilarious. Yeah, they all yeah. thought it was funny. But my black male friends came directly at me and said, this is not the time for your comedy show. Motherfucker, I'll be jacked. Right, right, good. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, uh, that's exactly what I, I had to say. Because, you know, well, right. here's the thing: we got to keep each other. We have to call out the problems and keep each other honest, right? Uh, and, and keep each other on our toes. If if there's something that comes out that's wrong, you're wrong. That's just what it is. Mm-hmm. And let's figure out and get to the root of the issue. But at the same time, I guess where I was jumping off and got off the defense is because I've always believed that something that, um, something that's happening over and over and over. Is uh, is a habit. Mm-hmm. Something that comes out one one time is a singular event, and so that's something that I was like, "Well, where are we at before May, and then after May, where are we at?" And so it's just like you know, I've said time and time again, you, you're gonna have to go back to May to find this mm-hmm. because it ain't coming out my mouth again. Right, right. It's it's not. It, we're not gonna get there ever again. If anything, what needs to come out of my mouth is I'll take a step back and and watch. A woman speak on what they need to speak on when it comes out to that and if I'm asked to do something like that then I will go ahead and speak on it mm-hmm. um, and if I'm not asking I feel like we need to represent and say the right things then I'm making sure I'm right asking the right people to project the right message yeah this is gonna be up, up, uphill for you I mean yes you absolutely. know I think even in learning I think even in exp- uh, uh, representing I think even being supported it's uphill just because it's so raw yeah. uh, for women's rights right now it's so raw for uh, LGBT with Trump in office being really sounding like you know I don't want people to be uh, the what it was I want to be something different and then we're like, okay, that sounds great, but then you just look at, like, what exactly different are you talking about? It sounds very much of the same shit we were doing before, right? So you have to be, this is going to be an uphill battle. I mean, yeah. I'm just being super honest. Absolutely. Like, once someone says something like that, it's hard to come back from it. So I, I am encouraging you to get as much work done around it as, as you can that people can see, you know? So, okay, so the next thing was, that it, back in May... Um, this because I mean you like you said you're just coming to the political stance so this is like we, we got like five months of knowing you <laughs> in in public right and it's been a whirlwind of five or six eight months how long has Benton's May been so yeah <laughs> you know, five months so um, so we people I'm looking at this paper because this is where the questions are and um, people want to know what happened with Black Unity Black Unity has become um, a name in the community. Uh, that has been synonymous with trouble and at the same time with uh, with ha- ha- trying to do the work, right? Young kids trying to figure this out, um, hit some walls, made some gaffes, have had some mistakes happen that have also been huge, right? right. Um, but your involvement with Black Unity got your name out there. Like, that's how people started to know who you were, was the leader, and I don't know if that was right. ever the truth, but the leader of black unity, right? And then all of a sudden you leave black unity. So at what at what point what happened there? Like what's were you the leader of black unity and at that point what happened to, to disengage from black unity and, and black unity really changing their tone quite a bit after that. Right. So I mean with changing the tone after that is kind of why you, you probably understand uh, well I'll explain that of why I left. Um, initially no I, I was never the the one 
head honcho leader of Black Unity, the way I really honestly saw it, um, they can say, you know, this has come from my mouth, so I'm right. going to speak how yeah, I'm going to speak. Right, exactly. The way I honestly saw it was me, Kalia, and partially Ty. Um, Ty came up with the name. We all came down. We all um, collaborated and said, you know, look, we got a different group. There's this BIPOC. To me, I, didn't, <laughs> I had no clue when I was going out to these marches. I'm just... I'm black, I'm here because I want to show that my life matters, right. I want to make sure that we're getting our voices across, and I'm willing to come out here and, and do some of this work that my grandparents did, and you know, and beyond. And so, I didn't know that there were so many groups within groups, you know, I wasn't involved with any group, people just started seeing me because they saw me through the media, and they were just like, here's the microphone, where are we going? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, is anyone, you know, we're, you know, trying to pass it off to other people, no one else is trying to take the torch except for Kalia and Ty. And I was like, okay, let's get together on this. And so once once there was uh, that split in groups at Matthew Knight Arena because um, we weren't really a group yet, we weren't really anything. We were just kind of like, hey, let's just get, keep everything organized. Let's keep the marches good together. Let's keep everybody safe. Let's 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 be more together on this. And that was kind of on the drop of a dime, right before the march happened. Mm -hmm. We were giving the microphone to everyone. Just give the microphone to everyone. Let them speak, um, especially BIPOC. Uh, you know, pe black people of color. Right. Um, which I didn't know BIPOC was a thing until all the, all of this process. But there was some confusion in the crowd. Why are you Why are you letting a military member speak? Why are you letting white people speak? Why are you letting this happen? And mm -hmm. then they broke off. And then we got together and we we're like, Hey, look, we we need to come up with our own moral stances and virtues so people understand who we are, what we're coming from. Um, I don't believe that we were ever able to get all of that in line, even when we had Moses involved. Mm -hmm. We just, we, we would never ever, all of, everyone was at, wasn't able to see eye to eye. It was very um, emotional based. Everybody act off of emotions. Mm -hmm. People are calling me out saying I'm a misogynistic and everybody wants to protect me in the group. And so we're all acting out like, you're wrong. You know, mm -hmm. we're all acting out on different emotions, on different vibrations, and we can't get it together. And um, we finally, you know, try to get together the best that we could. And it just really came down to me reading over the demands, me having the convers conversations that were behind closed doors that I, I felt like this wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why it wasn't for me, and the reason why I did, you know, I left abruptly because I chose to do that. Um, because I did feel uh, a certain sense of disrespect when it came to something. Like like you said, a lot of people saw me as the leader, and I don't think they ever wanted to accept that. Mm -hmm. Not saying that I needed to be head honcho, but I said that, you know, I feel like I can convey the right message if you give it to me. And they didn't want to do that. They mm -hmm. just kind of wanted to. Everybody wants to do it themselves, right. right? Everybody wants to have their own hat. No one wants to step up and actually just say, hey, this is the leader or, or X, Y, or Z. And so I said, you know, that some of the marches were coming down, some of the chants that were happening weren't things that I aligned with. A lot of people, it, it became so stressful because everybody thought that every single thing Black Unity did, Isaiah Wagner was doing. Mm -hmm. If this person over here is getting in trouble for this, if this person over here is saying no gods, no masters, all cops are bastards, that I'm a non-religious atheist, and it was just like all these things were just being thrown at me that I was like, I'm tired of the unfair accusations of who I am. Mm -hmm. Let me let me show people who I actually am. From then on, since May, since Black Unity, I felt like I've been trying to convey the right message of what I'm about and who I am. And I've stated it multiple times. Like I said, I am not a cab. 
they had an issue. Say so what ACAB is so people know. All cops are bastards. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that for a multitude of reasons, but what it came down to, they all they were also kind of ostracizing my lady for her having a mother who is a police officer for 25 mm-hmm. years. So they felt like that was, um, you know, uh, <coughs> contradictory to what they were trying to do. And so it's just like, you're going to tell us, this this black woman here, who was raised by a white mother, mm-hmm. whose father wasn't really in the picture, mm-hmm. you're going to tell her that she needs to denounce her mother when she's the one raising and up- uplifting her, mm-hmm. that she has to do that? That's not fair. Because she's a police officer. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, because she's still a current uh, oh, okay. Eugene police officer. And that's just, it's just not fair. And, I, you know, that's the way we looked at it. It's like, I, my lady's educated. She's helping write the demand so we don't look like fools. So we're not throwing out things with, that are grammatically wrong or things that don't even make sense when it comes down to it. You have to have it make sense. There was a lot of things that I kept coming to the table with like, hey, we need to speak about this that actually makes sense. What are the policies right now today that you are wanting to change? What do you see that's going on in Eugene that you're actually trying to make that actual change for? When no one has the answers to those questions or they're not willing to get the answer to those questions, I need to leave because there's no substance to this. This is just hearsay and word in the street. And I'm not here for word in the street. I want to see policy change and I want to get together with the people who actually know what they're talking about when it comes to that to make those things happen. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you guys had a different, I mean, you, meaning you and, right. and black I'm community. Speak, I wanna, I'm speaking for myself, but right. at the same time, I'm not here. I've never been associated with being a liar. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be out here telling no tall tales. What I've said from my is undeniably my truth. So, did you do you still support the efforts of Black Unity now, if, although you're not a part of it? It's been tough because it, there's been so much emotional involvement when it comes to, oh, you're trying to do your own thing now. Okay, you're misogynistic mm-hmm. from women that were trying to help protect me months ago, but now it's oh, you're trying to do this. Oh, he's this, he's this, he's that, mm-hmm. and it's I was just kind of thrown back, like why. Why do I have to be all of that now? Because I don't want to take your approach. Mm-hmm. And that was the hugest thing that I kept coming to Black Unity with. I kept saying, why is it, why am I an a-hole? Because I don't want to do what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. So this is still then, emotional, actually. When it came down to it, yeah, absolutely. Because it just made me, it, it made me super upset that I'm like, we should be working together. Just because I don't want to be Black Unity, and the reason why is because I want to speak for Isaiah Wagner. Because sometimes I would talk, and then they would say, "Oh, well, now you're associating Black Unity with this." And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I just hate that because mm-hmm. now you're under this whole wave of what you you know conform to this group that has their ideas, and I don't want to do that. I want to think as an individual and have my own stances and statements. So when you were with before Black, I mean Black Unity, as far as I know, that's how your name got known into the in the public, or is that not right? Were you known to the public before Black Unity? Um, for stopping the man with the rifle. Okay, but that was out of March. Yeah, but that wasn't a Black Unity thing. That was, wasn't that? That uh, was a day of the speech that I gave the triple Right, the and that was, that was Spencer and Maddie's speech. Yes, Okay. Uh, thing, yeah. Yeah, so, um, okay, so right. That's, that's the part that was confusing because people thought at that point that Maddie and Spencer were a part of Black Unity and then you guys See? split and they're doing their own thing and you guys are doing yeah. your own thing. So really, that actually 
that whole and this is the whole thing about that was the first day I met Maddie and Spencer. They actually have nothing to do with the speech. Oh yeah, no, they They have nothing to do with who I am as a person. I support them one hundred percent because I support what anybody's trying to do in the struggle of trying to actually do good. So I will always support that, whether I, you know, whether we get along on X, Y, or Z or not. Yeah, Maddie and Spencer are solid. They've been on my show at least a couple times. They're doing like real, real hard work in the community. Yeah, they're they're doing great. But I didn't. I'm excited to see their future, and I have nothing but love for them. Yeah, in May it was confusing though. It was like there was this match, and there was all these folks, and some people this, and then all of a sudden they were one thing, and y'all were another. I actually say this: I apologize for causing any uh, trouble to you and uh, Maddie and Spencer as well because of the remarks I stayed at your at your event that were non unbeknownst to them. Right, right, yeah. And I, I'm sure they. I mean, I'm not gonna speak for y'all. Right, they're here. So (laughs) anyway. when you were there, and so I'm, I'm looking, I'm putting this all together. When you're at the speech, you say the things that you said. You're not with Maddie. You're not necessarily Black Unity, but no. then Black Unity and you join somewhere in this, and then carry on, and then somehow, um, even at, you kind of stood out at the at that march because of the the man with the rifle and because of the uh, remarks that you made. Mm-hmm. So in those two gestures were kind of how your name became known and then it was with Black Unity this happened to be and then because your name was known Black Unity happened to be where you were at then you became this which wasn't con- was wasn't like agreed upon it didn't sound like a, a lot of leadership was agreed upon yeah. in any way so since then um, there's been incidents that's happened with you that um, with the question that's coming through is rumors that the hit and run incident uh, protecting you from the and protecting the armed gunmen uh, from protesters was staged and uh, a, pu- a publicity stunt. What's your response to that? Um, I think that the, we have too many testimonials from people to know that, that those are all false. Mm-hmm. Um, I would never put myself in a in a life threatening situation to to be. Uh, let me say this: I would never put. It's just how could it even be? <laughs> so the guy with the rifle, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm I'm marching. Anybody can, you know, not anybody, but people who were there, and I have a couple of people I came in touch with that helped me that day that I talked to. So that I mean, they could definitely testify to this. But we walked up and we saw this. It was just we were in the march. We see this guy in the middle of the crowd. He's got a gun in his hand and he's pointing at it like with no magazine, but he's got the magazine in one hand. And I thought in my mind instantly before you know, Kyle and the shootings were happening, I said this, this man is interjected in the, in himself into this. He doesn't like Black Lives Matter, clearly, and he's waiting for someone to give him a reason. Mm-hmm. You give him a reason, he's going to use that reason. So that's how I was thinking in that moment. That's why I was like, got straight in front of him, s- used my body as a shield to say, I'm a person of color, can we all move on? Mm-hmm. Because I don't want anybody to die here. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it comes from, what it is. Let if we all move past this person's jeep because everybody was surrounding it and giving him a reason. You're surrounding me. You're backing me in the corner. I have my wife in the car. She's getting attacked. These are all reasons why this white male would put his uh, magazine in his rifle and start shooting folks. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if you ignore him, what is he gonna do? If you ignore him and he starts shooting at us. What does it look like? A bunch of peaceful protesters walking down the street and somebody causing trouble. Mm-hmm. Now when you got, it's like people were looking for a fight. He found a fight. They found a fight. Mm-hmm. I was trying to be that wedge in between. I would never, I would never do that for media attention. At that time, I didn't even know that people were streaming 
the, the event was happening. Someone took those clips and they made it into what they wanted to make it, and then the media contacted me based off of the views it received. Mm -hmm. I had no clue until the day after that this was out, that it was out there, and so. Um, to me, it's just like I said. It's initially just trying to do what's right. I feel like the, a massacre could have been on our hands. I feel like he could have rolled up the rifle easily, shot people down, and that's what have what have what what have would have been the story, mm -hmm. you know. Versus now, I got to talk about this potentially being staged. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. now being at the Child's March, another situation. Um, no, absolutely. Not. It like I said. It's, I've always been that person who's willing to step up to see where there's a potential issue to try to protect everybody else. And it's not, I'm not over here trying to say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm made of sugar and candy. Um, it's just not that, it's just that I've always felt like I could be the voice of reason in certain situations. I can de-escalate certain people. I know how to talk to people of all walks when it comes down to certain things. Um, so I, you know, mail to mail or anything like that. I've just that's just kind of how I've always been when I saw someone being aggressive, especially when it came to another man. Um, those were like the times I could step up, and it's just the reason why I also work with kids. Ultimately, I've just always felt like I was a tall person that people looked at, and if I can equate that with being a voice of reason, then they're gonna even respect me even more, and I can make sure that certain situations aren't happening. So the vehicle, the man with the vehicle, he drove down the wrong area of the street. He got citations for a reason. How, are you gonna say the police staged citations that they gave him? You know, it's just, we have over 50 witnesses saying what happened. Um, no, I did not jump or run to his car, but was I in the street to stop him from driving where we were at? Yes, so that's why I was in front of his car initially. So is that why they, what was the reason why they didn't indict him when you went to the thing? Was it because, because you I were in forward. the room? Uh, because uh, I stepped forward. So uh, the whole thing of me saying I ran into his car was me saying, you know, stepping it into the area where he was at to say stop. Mm -hmm. So they were saying like, I'm putting myself in danger by stepping up and saying stop, mm -hmm. versus just staying where I'm at, not moving my feet or trying to get away from it. I'm stepping into trouble. Oh, I see. And I'm like, that wasn't the response. The response was I'm stepping over to stop him from hitting what, I don't know who the heck is behind me. Mm -hmm. I know that my daughter's there and we have multiple kids there. That's all I know. So I'm like, hey man, you gotta stop, you know, as loud as I can, you gotta stop. You know, putting right. my hands up and trying to make myself a big figure, like, just, we don't have a lot of people here. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. give us less than five minutes and we're out of your way, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't, he needed to rush home for some particular reason and wouldn't stop his car. And once he got to that point, that's when I jumped out of the, out of the way. And no, it was not a staged event. No, I'm not Jesse Smollett and that yeah. really offends me. <laughs> Jesse. No, no, I've been called that. And that yeah, really, no, it, yeah, it, yeah. no it, it offends me because I have witnesses we were there and just because the justice system failed us yet again doesn't mean i'm someone who staged an event mm -hmm. and that's what it's got to be when a black person goes i think that what's happening well. um honestly like as i'm looking and and i'm listening to where how we're talking about this and like what's actually going on i feel like what people are saying in the all of these questions that i have is that you're trying to establish your name outside of black unity in ways that aren't productive okay that and that's it sounds like because like i said this is five months time this is a lot happening right. for one dude, right? right? Well, this event <laughs> yeah. happened at, at the with, at the Black Unity when I was with Black Unity, mm -hmm. and so um, no outside, right? And getting to the outside of that point, yeah, you're absolutely right because I feel like I'm a man who can create change. So yes, I'm trying to establish 
a base for myself and my family to help others. Mm-hmm. How else am I supposed to do it by not trying to do those type of things? And so everybody has their own way and I chose to go about it my own way. I chose to say, look, I wanted those a couple of marches. Why does why do we have to wait for a group to tell us when to march or protest? Mm-hmm. Let's just go out there and protest. You know, and uh, you know, let's chant for what we want to chant for and I've told people over and over, I'm not an all cops are bastard person because I feel like cops are humans just when it comes down to it at the end of the day. The system has failed us. There's ways that we need to correct it. And it's not by uh, alienating a whole department and saying that every single person, officer in the Eugene EPD is bad, including people like Charles Stubbs or people uh, um, like the Smith, the Smith sister. That's a that's a Eugene police officer. The, the 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 people who are black police officers who feel like Black Lives Matter can't even march with us. Mm-hmm. And there, she she even said that uh, the 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 Smith sister that was did the video for EPD. She said that to her own sister, and uh, you know uh, that's what her sister relayed back to us. She's like, my sister wanted to go out and you know express her her feelings on it, but they're just like you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, how could you sit there and tell a black woman she's part of the problem? Mm-hmm. That's part of the problem. Right. So, you know, that's just where I kind of was just like, I can't sit here and say that this person's bad based off of their profession. Now, are the rules that keep them safe bad? Sure. Do we need to change those rules to hold everybody accountable? Absolutely. And I don't think that other cops would feel, especially the good ones, I don't feel like they would be opposed to that. Mm-hmm. Because... Any good cop will tell you, so you know, just paraphrase and based off of my, my mother-in-law because I've had so many different conversations with her and shout out to her for helping me when I was on the, on the streets and didn't have a place to stay and let me stay rent-free for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, bad cops make all good cops look bad. Mm-hmm. And so they want them out too, mm-hmm. you know, um, to a certain degree. I can't go through, the, every single department has to be dissected. But this one here, I feel like that's what the majority is really kind of praising to. I think that it's interesting that, and it's the same kind of thing that we talked about before, the, the being what you see and what you feel is two different, what we see and what you feel is two different things. Right. And a leader is able to bridge the difference, right? And Right. And the, t- the thing about it is that it's not, leadership has nothing to do with you. Leadership has to do with people who you are leading and the benefits that they are trying to, uh, that you're trying to get, you're trying to, to be able to bridge that difference, right? right. So, so basically, with your deeds, the leadership will develop. With, with conversation, with, able, with the ability to be able to reach and talk to people who disagree with you and to, for people to understand the perspective in which you're coming from, it's a place of progression but there has to be a pla- a, a, a reasonable ability to to negotiate mm-hmm. between what's popular and what's real right? right and so the truth of it is is that like when you talk about police you know and in, in, in this in this grand way but then quickly narrow it down to Eugene it's like the, people are having a, a hard time understanding your position because it's, if it's emotionally based or based on your wife or her mother, that's emotionally based. That's actually right. personal. So as a leader, you'd have to take yourself out of the personal part and look at it in a, in a systematic part and look right. at it for the community as a whole. And that's why I've always pledged Justice, Act in, Justice in Policing Act of 2020. It states everything that we're looking, what, 
I feel that people are looking for because mm -hmm. it helps everyone across the board. That's how it works in the in the chocolate community. It spills over to the vanilla community. How how do you how have you because um, someone asked about qualifies you as mayor? How have you gone into the community and assessed the needs of the community when, and based on what the police are, are doing in Eugene? We won't go to Oregon. We won't go to even Lane County. We'll just go to Eugene. Eugene. Yeah. Because that's where we are. I mean, that's, I mean, you're talking about mayor of Eugene. So right. how have you assessed the need of the community based on the actions of the police, like in that spot? Because I realize your your platform isn't about police. Your platform is actually about homelessness, mm -hmm. which is different. But because you're a black man, saying that you're the first black mayor, and police brutality is like number one, even right. in Eugene in the black community, right. the fear for, around police. We can watch, like you said, you were Michael Brown. We can watch it all day long. Watching black death over and over again subconsciously <laughs> goes into our into our everyday and we get nervous like right. you know we drive down and we see police we're nervous right, right. Uh, generally so um so i i mean how have you assessed what you believe that your community that you would be leading as mayor would feels about the police so what i've what i've kind of taken from a lot of different sides is we need to before we fully fund other crisis response teams to be in the street, we need to make sure that these crisis response teams are holding up their end of the bargain and their value. Mm -hmm. and that's based off of what Cahoots has said in the uh, Eugene City Club. They had uh, Ibrahim, the leader, uh, the, the the CEO of Cahoots, and uh, the the police police chief all together at the table um, talking about these very things. And like I said, you get if you can get these programs to where they need to be, you get the proper facility, you pay them more because everybody wants to get compensated for the work that they do. Um, and then you start getting more boots on the ground. To me, I feel like we need to have more people throughout the city that's willing to give de-escalation tactics, especially when it comes to um, not only people of color, but our, un our unhoused and homeless communities. Yeah. Um, starting with a love first approach and making sure that we can actually get the correct education to these people that are that are going through um, these different walks of life. I think it's just all about having the police presence for threatening situations, um, life-threatening situations, um, you know. But this is from your personal, uh, your personal experience, or is this from being involved in these meetings? Like, where are you getting the assessment from? Being the involved community? in these meetings, mm -hmm. being involved in a lot of different meetings you know your brother has been a, a huge asset in letting me sit at the table of these zoom meetings that they're having with uh naacp other different clubs and uh members of government and so uh you know and even while i was with black unity listening to everybody that's in the council meetings giving their say so hearing what they want to do but like i said you have us when it comes to voters and voters are the truth of the city to me because that means those are the ones that are actually listening and wanting to actually get these things done barring someone who obviously can't vote when it comes down to being a felon or uh being of the younger generation um to me i think you have a majority of people who don't want to defund the police i mm -hmm. think you have a majority of people that uh i think that they would be open to something that is more of a reform based off of how we can, now that we've gotten these two together, now that we've seen Cahoots issue, we need to have 
we got to dissect cahoots. We got to make sure that we're doing the proper thing and getting the proper need there because there's a great need there. And then, like I said, it's rolling out more more facilities and more boots on the ground, and that's going to help out everybody immensely. Um, more boots on the ground. What do you mean by that? From crisis response teams. Okay. Okay. So, um, and you guys, I know you guys are putting like um, comments, and I'm super not looking at it, so I will look at it afterwards. Um, okay. So, um, blah, 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 blah. what are your thoughts on the division within Eugene Black community? Do you feel you have any part in that current situation? I feel like we, you know, um, it's a lot of people wanting to do their things their own way, and that's that's the stubbornness of it that I would love to change all like like you said a lot of people have always said we got to get to the people at the table but are they actually getting these people to the table mm -hmm. if you don't you, you, to me the invitation should be always out there and there should be a public meeting um to happen to, to say hey what are our current issues and what can we tackle mm -hmm. we, we we can't you know the NAACP can only exist if people are actually trying to be within that program we don't need to have just out of out of town people coming from different schools to say, you know, obviously I'm black, I'm trying to figure out where, where I can go meet and help out with other black people. Mm -hmm. And it takes those people, it's been taking those people to take that initiative versus people that within our own community that have lived here to take that initiative. And there's something wrong with that. We need to have more NAACP leaders going into our schools and teaching and, and saying, this is where your programs are at, this is where we can be at. Um, education to me is very important, making sure that we have our, our, our teachers fully funded, making sure that we have uh, everyone feel like they're valued and, and they can learn in a safe place. At the same time, they can learn a lot about their culture as well. And so to me, it's, it, you know, um, a lot of the things that I talked with your brother about with Eric uh, were very troubling to me that I didn't know. Mm -hmm that I had to sit there and take, take a seat back and kind of really dissect it all in my own mind and say, you know, what can we really do to, do to get people together because there's been a lot of in-crowd fighting for a long time. And it's everyone setting their emotions aside and coming up to the table and saying, what do we need to actually get changed so we can make this change happen? Um, on a month-to-month -month basis. I think I always, I say this, you know, and the people are like, my brother, my brother, Eric Richardson is my brother, if everyone didn't know that. <laughs> he is the executive director of the NAACP in Eugene, the Eugene sector of the NAACP. So I always say this about that, is that the NAACP is one faction of black leadership in Eugene. Right. Um, and it's not even local. Now, he is local, obviously. He's, you know, not born here, but raised majority here. Um, uh, he was actually born in St. Louis. So it's like, uh, so basically, I mean, we've been here the majority of life. He's been married 30 years. He's got five kids, all raised through the 4J system. We've all, it's very much Eugene, mm -hmm. right? Like I said, before that, my father was here, KL brought jazz to KLCC for the first time ever, um, brought in a lot of jazz greats to Eugene that didn't ha um, hadn't been uh, previously. He's a um, pioneer that way for black culture in Eugene, which was in the 70s. So we have a stronghold of black, uh, of like, you know, bringing black culture and holding black culture here. But there's upright, there's black groups here that represent not in a political base like the NAACP, but the the actual community-based uh, leadership that's going on. Do you reach out to them, like other groups of black of people who are who are grassroots, who are creating programs 
um, that are needing recognition, that are needing that help. NAACP is very well funded, so it's like to be able to to look at the community and say, what is the community actually looking for? NAACP, now I'm not, obviously I love right. the NAACP, I support it, I'm there all the time, my brother runs it, like it's, we're there, right? right, right. But I also know that there are people who are creating nonprofits that are community-based, yes, meaning that yes. they're talking about what we need here, right. the kids coming from school, the, the BSUs, those type of things. Mm -hmm. Um, are you reaching out to those groups? And, I, and at the top of my mind, there's there's Honey, there's uh, I mean I have the nonprofit Black Gold. There's other there's um, oh I, geez I, I have one not. More. I'll, I'll just answer that question directly. I have not, um, and the reason why I have it is because um, I've I've been kind of trying to wait till after all the political stuff was going down because I know a lot of people don't want to be affiliated with anything political yet, and so. That was actually one of the things that I was looking forward to, to reaching out to a lot of different organizations saying, where can I get my hands on some valuable work? Where can I learn and get some experiences from and how can I donate my time? Um, but that that's essentially once I took that role to step into to, to trying to be the, the right in mayor, um, I know a lot of people, you see a lot of doors closing your face at mm -hmm. that point because a lot of people think that you're trying to peddle your, your position. And so um, even with here today, you know, before, before uh, you know, you, you accepted us to come. I was like, you know, I, I would come here and I want to talk about the issues that we talked about directly versus me coming up here and say, vote right, Isaiah Wagner and right. come here. Yeah. Because to me, it's just, you know, if you're going to, you're going to. I'm not, I'm not at that stage where I'm actually on the ballot to where I could actually, I feel like I should be campaigning so much. Right, right. I just feel like I need to speak to the people that look like me and say, where do I need to go? How do I need to grow? and point me in the right direction and let me prove it. Mm -hmm. Let me prove myself. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I don't, I'm not here to awful, offer lip service. I'm here to have a track record of proving myself, of trying to get to that point. Okay, I mean, I think that's fair. And I think that you're, you're very brand new in the, in the game, yes. right? And yeah. I think that in time, doing that work, being more community-based versus like, um, follow, follow what you're hearing, you know? Yeah. Um, and not necessarily what is the shiniest thing in the room because that that's how the real need gets passed over is because the biggest the biggest dog in the house is going to be have the largest bark but that's not necessary that dog is getting all the food too so right you see so you gotta look around and see what's actually happening right so that you can be effective for the people that you want i mean because you know how many homeless people are you are you walking around through are you going to the camps are you sitting there talking are you like asking what the real need is mm -hmm. um on the ground because that's how the the, the grassroots comes up and you're brand new to this so it's right. like having well, those are things also i mean me and my father have been doing for years um i've been doing volunteer work ever since i could pretty much talk and walk mm -hmm. um i grew up in a homeless shelter in little rock arkansas we had nothing, and my father was bagging up chicken for people on the streets, and I was right there with him giving it out. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and he's done this type of work coming into Eugene um, and working with a, a gentleman named David Robertson that was feeding people in, in, in the Washington Bridge area, and I would go and attend at those type of areas too and feed people as well. Mm -hmm. I, I've volunteered my time um, almost every Thanksgiving because that was the place that fed me and my father because mm -hmm. he, you know, as my, my, my brother knows and my sister knows, we weren't getting a Thanksgiving turkey with stuffing and all this other type of stuff. We had to rely on the community dinner, dinners 
that would provide that for us. And then listening to people say things like, I was opening a can of cat food for me and my, my cat, and then I remembered that they were having this dinner and I was able to come down here and eat. Mm -hmm. And so being able to sit at those tables and actually hear all these stories um, is really molding me and grounded me to know that we need something better for these folks. Mm -hmm. And that's what, I, that, the one thing I've been trying to say is, we need a place that's gonna accept everyone. The Eugene mission is great, but we need non-religious place low barrier shelters that can accept everyone for what they are and who they are and how they're going to come and, and, and then be able to go from there because so acceptance is a huge thing. Would it be fair to say that like the Black Lives Matter movement isn't really your strong suit? No. No, well, here, well, here, here it is. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement to me, when it comes to the actual based organization, no. Right, okay. Because their values are not in line with the values I have or the virtues I, I personally have. I'm not a Marxist. Um, there's a lot of things that I just personally don't agree with. But do I, it, 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 can I argue the fact that Black Lives Matter? No, because they do. Mm -hmm. And I, I will stand by that statement. And I will also stand by my people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I have to be an individual and think on my own and say, I want to make sure that we can make this work for everyone. Mm -hmm. And you say everyone, you mean? All, all, all races, all background. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, the working class. Essentially, the non-working, the below the working class, the common every everyday people that don't have the silver spoons in their mouths that, that are able to. Because we all know this world, this most of this world runs off of money, and okay. if you have that type of money, you don't need that type of help that we're asking for in the working class. See, for me, I feel like Black Lives Matter has hijacked the idea of black of black um, human rights. And so, the, and I say hijacked, meaning that Black Lives Matter becomes a thing that you have to do a certain way, which right. is, which is, I mean, to be real, is just straight bullshit. So the truth of it is, is I, I appreciate Black Lives Matter for doing what it has done, bringing awareness to white folks in a way that they have, for some reason, had never had. But the question that's come across here is, as an activist, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, when I say Black Lives Matter being not your strong suit, is that I want to know, and to this question about the activists of human rights for black people, how long before Black Lives Matter was an issue were you doing that? Because to me it sounds like your heart is really with homelessness, I mean that's your experience, homelessness, uh, uh, the housing crisis, the, the people on the street not having what they need, having, that seems like that's very passionate for you, and this other is like circumstantial because you are a black man or seen as a black man in, in your, in your uh, I mean, as you walk through life. So I'm wondering. Well, I mean, you got to think about. I mean, even like Barack Obama, even though he's a black man, he still has to speak to everyone. Mm -hmm. He still has to be inclusive for everyone. What does affordable care do? That helps everyone, mm -hmm. in particular people of color. Yeah, but you right? know, I see so this about Barack Obama all the time. He's half black, I'm, raised in Indonesia, right, with a right. white woman. Like, and, he, and he's I'm not Obama. Global. I'm not Obama. Right, right. I don't want people to say, you know, I'm not sitting here trying to compare myself. But like I said, that's just what it. That's just where I kind of take it from mm -hmm. like yeah you're right you're not getting you're not getting a a, a, a downright black activist you're not getting Malcolm X no mm -hmm. no you're not you're not mm -hmm. um you're gonna get someone who's honest candid like I said willing to to listen to the people who know better than myself mm -hmm. I'm willing to sit here with you and listen to exactly what you're willing to say mm -hmm. about x y and z and I'm also willing to project that message mm -hmm. as much as I possibly can 
I'm willing to say these are the people that have been voices that couldn't have that seat at the table that I'm willing to give that seat at the table. Opportunities are important. Mm -hmm. So those are strongholds I can do. I can empathize with people when I look across the table and say, do we need a diversified portfolio of people in our office? Yes. So, so okay, something came across to me that's a, another day I was talking to somebody who was like, why do we have to care or give a damn about what black folks are feeling when there's only 2% of black folks in Oregon? What would you say to that? Because you have to care about people as a whole, humanity. It's not, it, is it more important to be American or is it more important to be a human? You have to care about hum, humanity first. Mm -hmm. So that's why you have to care about what the little guy says as well as the big guy. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I would say, and obviously, you know, that's someone that is very far on the is on a different vibration than than where we're at when we can kind of see these issues happening and affecting us. Yeah, I um, mean, it was a stupid comment <laughs> for I, sure. <laughs> I, 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 honest, I honestly think that um, my where my position would be would be trying to uplift as many black people that have been here doing it for so long and trying to give their voice a bigger stage and platform people like lily parker mm -hmm. people like your brother people like yourself mm -hmm. you know and, I, and i'm not saying initially like you know because it, i'm me i'm doing that but if i'm able to sit at this table and offer that then i'm able to offer that i'm able to look at it and say what are the community ideas that we need mm -hmm. you know that's the whole point of it how many times has our current representation able to come sit here and say what do you feel like the black community needs? Mm -hmm. If they're not willing to do that, that's an issue. That's what I'm saying. We need people that are willing to go to the brick and mortar places like this to help people, one, help people out in that regard, and two, get the message to be on a broader scale that people are going to pay attention to. The old white man that's been benefiting for a long time in our country, in our country, yes, but as Eugene as a whole, is going to listen to what the political leader has to say. And if I'm here doing a podcast with you, they're going to tune in and see what's mm -hmm. going on. That's what I'm saying. It's about getting more information out there. Mm -hmm. So my last question, because we're almost done. Yeah. I mean, we're like, but, but um, I want to talk about the unhoused community because I realize and know that um, from my background that mental health is a huge uh, um, issue in the unhoused community. Uh, so what is your background in understanding how to... Uh, support that and like in a, as an activist I mean we talked about your experience as an activist for uh, against racism but like with this being a mental health crisis I mean unhoused the unhoused has like the percentage of mental health crisis in the unhoused community is astronomical so for that to be what it is do you have any uh, any ideas or platforms to to address the access to healthcare access to mental health care for the unhoused community that's a that's that's a tough one. I do not have any expertise on that type of situation. Like I said, that would be something that I'd be outsourcing for because there are things that we don't know, and that's the biggest thing in politics is what what we really need for more politics for more people in our position of leadership to say that they if they don't know something to say that. Mm -hmm. Stop acting like you know everything. Mm -hmm. Not everybody knows everything. Uh, that's why you find the people qualified on those levels. We can look at it as a democracy and get these people involved. My 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 ex my growing through unhoused being in the unhoused community and being in the low income house community yeah. is you know uh, 
There's a lot of angles to it. There's a lot, you know, you have your, you have, it's it's like a community college. You have your pimps, you have your players, you have your hustlers, you have your trying to get over on the government and make sure that they, you know, can do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then you have the people that are actually trying to use this system to actually get somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so it's how can we help all of those people within it? I think it really boils down to education and education of the, of the community. How we're going to reinvest in education in the community to let people know that these are actual problems and how to deal with those problems. Right. I mean, I worked in the government working with welfare families and working with unhoused people. I and think. I think that's where I know you from. I you think, think so? I honestly think that one year you were my uh, representative when when I needed to get food stamps. Are you sure? I'm one hundred percent positive. I feel like I remember all the black folks that come through. <laughs> that's only like twelve. You know what I'm saying? It was literally like one, like one. I, I, I went in there for like you know the whole little meeting thing. Because I, I was there. It that was one that time. Because I, I definitely did food stamps at one point. Six months. Okay, yeah. I did do food stamps so. at one point, but then I moved on to welfare, and then I moved on to other things. So I was people's uh, right. food stamp worker at one point. Oh, that's cool. Okay, uh, but so. When, when, as I worked into a family code situation, dealing with families who are um, unhoused, a lot of uh, drug and alcohol issues, a lot of mental right. health issues, um, not necessarily with the food stamp families, but the other families, the Tana families, and um, and then with being a liaison with child welfare, dealing with that situation, um, working through that, working with OEMS with diversity through the state, I had my hands on a lot in, uh, you know, with the unhoused community, with the poor community. I myself have been on welfare with my kids, no car driving through, not driving, riding my bike through Eugene while I'm going to school full time with three small kids. I've done the hustle, mm -hmm. right? I've been through, I've been through it, a single mom, um, but yet I graduated, you know, straight A student, right? And I mean, my kids remember, my son who's 25 remembers me being in the living room till three in the morning with books, chemistry, stuff all around me coming downstairs, you know, seeing me studying get up at six o'clock in the morning, get three children dressed and out the door for school on time while I take my butt to class and be in school all day long. Say, you know, so I got the hustle, right? I was never homeless because I have family and because I knew I was educated and I knew how to work the system, right? I find that what really happens is that it doesn't matter if we get the infrastructure, we're all sitting there and we're all like in the homeless camps and we have our applications and they can't read or they don't know how to actually finish the application, or they don't know how to follow up. Right. There's no address to follow up. They can't come back and get their food stamps. They can't get the cash because they don't have an address. The due process really doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't work at all. <laughs> and so what I'm saying is that to be, and this is just my two cents for you, is like, if you want to be different than everybody else, then, then get inside and then go from there. Because everyone else is going, this is what they need. That's not the that's not the way to go. The right. way to go is to get in there and go. What do you guys need? You see what I'm saying? It's different, and you will get a different answer. Right. So, and that's right. everywhere. That's with the black community. That's with uh, that's with any kind of marginalized community. It's like if you're looking at it from the outside, going, my experience says this, so this is what I think it should be. You're gonna get a a quarter of the answer. You got to go in and come out, and and that that takes time. Right. So I wish you luck. I do think that you have growth to to. I mean, you're 30 years old. Right. You're you have a heart that says I need to be doing these things. Um, I have been doing this th these things for 23 years. You know. Can I ask you one question? Of course you can. Why you can haven't you did it? Oh God, because first of all, by time I was, I had my son at 18, right? Well, now. Oh, at 43? Why? Oh, 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 Lord. Okay. You don't think you can get votes? You don't think you can get votes? Oh, yeah, I can get votes. I can get votes. 
But this is what I feel like I can do. As I've worked in legislation, as I've worked with the state, um, and I did it for eight years trying to just, just push race, diversity, and equity in the state, I found out what we don't have is power. So what I do now is I'm an entrepreneur for myself, and I teach the community about the wellness of the blackness, of blackness and how you have to, to invest in that in order to beat anti-racism and anti-blackness. So what I've done is created a program. I've created four different programs that do that. And so what I'm doing is from the ground up from myself, and I've created an education program, I've created an anti-racism program, and I've created a program for white parents that are raising black kids, a cultural mentorship program. I've done that. And so when I, the way that I am activating is that I'm not going to go through the government because the government for me is the mountain. I'm going to go to the people who are climbing it. So as they're going, they're, they're doing the work to deconstruct the whole system. I can't take down the system. You see, does that make right, sense? Right. So I'm like, who, who makes up the system? The people. Who can I talk to? Them. What, what can I tell them? The truth about what blackness really is. And, and so that you're not coming in to this conversation going, black people need your help. Black people don't need their help. Right. What black people need is for them to get out of the way. <laughs> so and allow black people to, to be wholly themselves and it will be beautiful, like it ha always has been. So for me, I'm teaching. I'm teaching white people, and I'm teaching, and I'm encouraging and empowering black people. And in that moment, those white folks who learn more from what I'm saying, and those black folks who feel empowered from what I'm saying, will go into the system and say, I call bullshit on this. And it will implode from the inside out. That is my dream. And that's how I'm doing the work. So it's two different, it's two different angles, right? Yeah. So that's, uh, and I've created, like black old, you know, I've created, like I said, right now I'm doing four different programs at once, right at this very moment. <laughs> and, and Black Girl from Eugene really was, this like podcast really was a part of that. Was like black folks, BIPOC people, black, indigenous, and people of color need a space to be able to say whatever the hell we want to say without the judgment of white folks. And if white folks want to hear it like a fly on the wall, they can do it and they will actually learn what we really mean and what we really want and what we really are feeling every day. I come here every Sunday and do that. That's another education program. You know what I mean? So that's how I'm my activism works. I just I look, I'm a black woman, I barely take suggestions. Okay, so I can't be I can't be in the government with them telling me what to do and then them and I give them all my energy and then they take what I said, splice it into one piece and then they change that too. And then I don't get any credit. <laughs> like I can't continually do that. And like I'm forty three years old, I've been doing that for a long time. I have a nursing degree. I was in the healthcare system. I was social, doing social work. I was in the government. I mean, I've done this, so I know how it works. I'm going, oh, okay. I got to do this shit myself. Right. <laughs> Let me create something myself. Okay, here. Black girl from Eugene. And they're like, oh, no, here she comes. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, and that's fine with me. And I'm writing. I write in the newspaper. You're going to hear my opinion there. I mean, you know. So, I feel like education works that way. Working with children, educating, empowering, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. That's my, that's my answer. <laughs> You've been a wonderful guest. I'm really happy that you came and did this and had this conversation. I hope that people got a better idea of where you're coming from. And I hope that you do work to to get a stronger, you know, grip on the community because I think you have the right mind, the right heart for it. I think that you have the right passion for it. I think you need more experience. But I don't think that that's a bad thing because it's open. It's 2020. Right. It's wide open, right? Right. For anyone who wants to take it, it's time to go get it. Absolutely, and and that's kind of my plan. Is just, this has all been a learning experience? I'm trying to grow. I'm also trying to figure out exactly where I need to be at to to, to gain more experience and to 
to, to further myself to get there, mm-hmm. um, to really be able to help everyone else. Um, yeah. And like I said, I mean, anybody who asks if I won now, of course, we're going to hit the ground running and, 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 like I said, ask the right questions and, and do what we got to do and be open and, and available to the public within these type of forums and mm-hmm. these type of settings. And um, thank you so much. It was a blessing and an honor to be here. I know that it was. it's not easy... I can't step into your shoes and say it for you, but I can just say if you know if I was sitting in your position, it's not easy to bring on someone that's so controversial for those statements I've made because you're gonna get so much flack as why as a black woman you feel like it's important to even give your time to someone like this when you you know you've done so much work to build up what you're doing and and to give someone who said foolish stuff why why you give them your time and you know like I said I. I appreciate it so much. Oh, Thank yeah. you so much for uh, me, my heart. You're welcome. And let me tell you, for everyone who is wondering, <laughs> I don't play that. Like, if I hear some shit like that, I'm like, oh, c- come have a seat and talk to me about what the hell just came out your mouth. That's how I feel about it. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, something right. Like, yeah. uh, let's talk about it. I'm education-based. Right? So when I hear that, I go, what? This happened. And I'm not going to lie to you. I have a ton. I'm black woman. I have a ton of friends who was like, you know, um, you. why would you have them on your show? Right? right? And the truth of it is, is that if you're a leader, it's not personal. And what you said was misogynistic in form. And I want, and I, I personally did not take that in because I'm also a leader for Black women, for Black people in this community, right? So I'm gonna say, can we talk about that for a second? Right. And now, if you would have came in here and been like, yeah, it was stupid, I know, blah blah, I ain't had nothing to say about it, then I'd have been like, I'm gonna have to say you're misogynistic. I'm gonna have to say, I'm gonna have to go with that, right? But for me, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I understand that you are learning, right? Um, I, and I'm being very honest with you and the community that's listening is that I, I think you have work to do, right? Yeah. That's, not a, that's not a bad critique, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying you're misogynistic and okay, nobody, you can't hear me. That's different. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have work to do. I'm saying that the community is here watching, and, and if you are doing the work just like just like other leaders that you know, just like Eric, just like myself, just like uh, Leela with Honey, or you know, uh, Rob, Randy, the people who are in the community, you will earn the respect of the people by the actions that you take. Absolutely. I said from the very beginning, you have an uphill battle because what you said was bad. (laughs) No, no doubt about it. So you have an uphill battle, but that means that everything that you do from here on out needs to be very deliberately uh, learning about the value and what what people are saying because you're gonna you want to be mayor now you're the people's people you know yeah you're the people you are you are responsible for what the people need to be what we need to hear from you out of your mouth right you're representing all of us right so it has to be clear so if it, if that if misogyny isn't clear then it's misogyny right does that make sense like if it's not if it like sexism is not clear then it's sexist it's like you either are or you're not if racism isn't foggy you either racist or you're not. It's it's clear. Now, if you're confused or if you're learning and you're like, I, I know I said that shit and it was wrong. And I can feel it in my chest when I said it. Like, oh, it was the wrong place to say it. Then we got to know how you're working on it. I mean, that's just because you want to be the people's people, right? right. You want to be the people's man. We got to know what you're doing. Right. And that's, to me, if you're on my show, I'd like to know what you're doing, right? And as a black woman, I'm a, there be very few black, uh, black men men period that will tell me what my value is and if it's not talking about the top of the left i already know they all they all 
confused. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're confused because I know who I am and I know what my value is, right? So when I hear people talk about Saturday neck, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, you, you need water, you're dehydrated, like you need a seat. I don't know what you're doing, right? I mean, so I, I appreciate your humbleness about that. And I do appreciate that your acknowledgement that it is a, it's, it's, a statement that was it's a heavy one right? right so and it's the one that i think follows you the most yeah. honestly out of everything i think that was what really follows you and that's why i think it's important for you to make transparency about your willingness to work towards um understanding how and, and just understanding better the community at large is really really important right yeah so thank you everybody for coming on i did say that i normally go through these things and i know we've been on here for a long um a long thing here and this is like I can't get past that some people like I can't get past your remarks which you know is, I, I understand yeah it's fair it's a fair thing uh, working on the inside systems you want to fix is really a good suggestion uh, you have to understand the structures in order to take them down Vanessa says ask him what do you think the biggest challenge between black women wanting to pursue a role in leadership here is versus um, oops versus a black male. Speak to that because you just asked her why she hasn't. This point needs to be understood. We need black women in these positions, and, but why aren't they? So you want to answer that real quick? Can you think you can? Uh, I can't speak for black women. Uh, I can speak for uh, what, what are the challenges versus a, uh, for a male? It says what male, challenge well, between I, a black I have, I have male privilege. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's just, that's just, that's just a, the, the reality of the situation. I have the privilege of being a male when it comes to being in that field and, and, and showing that type of image. Um, I can't speak for, for, why, for, for why black women aren't wanting to do this or do that. Um, they could, they Not wanting to, but having the access to. Having the access to? Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. I, I honestly don't know the answer. You to will that. learn more when you get into the government. <laughs> well, right? Yeah. Because like, I, I don't honestly have the answer for it. Because to me, I'm like, if, if someone's qualified, I don't see why they couldn't. The way that we've had Kitty and now Lucy, I'm like, I don't see why we couldn't have a black qualified woman running and, and doing it. I think everybody would get under that and support that. Yeah. <laughs> be, and that's just. But that could be somebody who is very confused on the situation. Yeah, I want you. Yeah, I, I and I and I say I want you to, but like I'm really like she's the same thing as and the empowerment of our community to use their voice and their talents and uh, put them turn them into action to leadership, all of that. So I think it's important. Like, um, like I said, right now um, we must start asking marginalized communities. That's exactly right. Um, we have to get the voice of the people. So if you're representing black women and you're not understanding black black women's causes, you gotta start having conversations with black women. Um, and ones that are in your community, not necessarily just in your family, ones that disagree with you, right. not ones that agree with you. Oh, no, and trust me. Yeah. I don't think anybody in my family agreed with me. <laughs> not a one. Uh, okay, so so. Not a, where, uh, where are we going in this state is beyond is not going to go anywhere until we rise up as a people. These are all really great comments. We got fired up. Women are like fired up and people are like really trying to have these conversations and uh, listening to what you're saying. Um, so people are hearing it, and I think that I think everybody who is concerned about the uh, really about the um, the remarks the remarks about women and black women, it's not like I said, it's not a little bit. And uh, he's been getting a crash course from where he is. He knows more, but yes, it seems like he lacks 
how systematic racism affects good cops. Yeah, that and, and the truth of it is, is that it, your, your experience with the idea of how systematic racism, systematic sexism, is, is I think that you would benefit greatly from understanding how it affects, uh, systematically affects people, marginalized people. Mm -hmm. For you to research and study how systematic racism, systematic sexism affects black women will help your, your perspective of the misogynistic comments that you're getting. You will get a different and deeper understanding of why black women don't have access. Remember I told you, four years consecutively, black women have been the highest rated <laughs> educated people in the nation. That's right. black men, it's over all men, over all races, black women. So there's a systematic reason that has to do with sexism and, and racism that doesn't allow the most qualified person in the room to be at the table, which right. is a black woman, right. right? So it's really hard to, if you don't and understand the system, it's hard to, like, like it's hard to get well, in. I, I, the most of the well-educated women I've talked to that are of color, just they, what they've told me is that they just, that's not what they want to do. Mm -hmm. They all want to work with kids most, more often than not. Right, right. Uh, just because that's where their heart is, it's just, being that nurtured uh, uh, person to a, to a child, right, and really showing love and affection in that way, and that, you know that's great. But I'm, I, I I don't personally know the the ones wanting to step up and be in that position. But think about your grandmother, you know, PhD, yeah, uh, fourth woman. That that's not about children and nurturing. That's about her desire right. to lead, right? right? My I have a cousin who is ninety one, I think, and she was the first uh, black woman to be uh, the superintendent of the LA Unified School District like back in the 60s right um, she doesn't have any children and she's to this day was never married 92 years old and kicking plays tennis every week like she's on it right um, my mother has a, a six children and has a degree a nursing degree and uh, went back to school and was going back to school I mean women have a much bigger range of, of nurture then it then means that the ch the children that they bear. Right. I mean, and you got to realize this. You're talking about femme women. There, there, there are trans women. There are uh, LGBTQ women who don't want kids. There are women who are femme who don't want kids. The way that we nurture is uh, the self care and self preservation of our community is through education. Right. So it's an involved situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's just for me. It's just more or less. I'm, I'm wondering which ones are the ones that w are trying to be there. Which one is the one trying to actually make the noise and you say, I want to be the governor? You got to be the conversation. You got to be out there and see. You got to be out there and that's see. That's like, what I asked you. you, you know, yeah, well, you know. to be honest, when I, was, when I worked for the state, I was the only, there's only two other black women in the whole damn building. You know what I mean? And it's not by, I, I, by if you understand systematic racism, it's by design. Right. You right, know, right. and black men got, you know, voting rights literally 60 years before, or 45 years before women right, could. Right. So in that gap is the same gap of why black women are looking at it going, not that I don't want to get in, like you said, but I'm trying to. systematically set up. Right. Like, you know, if, you, if our women can't vote and we're going to jail on X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So if you're the mayor, you're the in that system. Off. Right. Right, you're, you're, if you're a mayor, you're now a very a pillar of that system. So, in order to open gates and open, even for the platform that you're in, even for people who who would you intimately understand unhoused people, in order to represent the black community, you have to intimately understand the the, the barriers that are there right. for black women. Right, we all know black men barriers, and you're a black man, you're there. But the most marginalized group in that situation, even in BIPOC, are black women. Right. So it's important that that understanding that in a in a real strong way that you can be that you can have that 
constituents behind you because I'm telling you, without having black women supporting you, you won't get very far. Absolutely not. I mean, that's just and the voting right, the voting numbers. Well, I mean, even in life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it comes period. Out, even in life. Period. But uh, like I said, I, I guess something that I've also learned through is just I can't, I can't portray that I know what it's like to be a woman. No, you don't. Ever. Okay. I, I need to be able to say, this is who I am at the table that's helping me understand it, and this is who I'm saying, this is the person that's qualified to, to speak on these terms. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, a lot of people don't want to hear a black man talking about this. They want to hear what a black woman has to say, and then there's a time and a place for me to speak on it, for, for when I need to speak on it, and that's kind of the way I've always kind of looked at it. Mm -hmm. um, so y'all heard it here. You heard it in Black Girl from Eugene, and this is Isaiah Wagner. Okay, we're gonna head off, and I'm sorry y'all if I didn't get your comments because there's a lot of damn comments. I love it. I I sure asked y'all to send I'm me some DMs. No, I, <laughs> no, they don't seem that. Everybody's great. Like I, my listeners are the dopest. Okay, so they, they have they have it all together. I love all my followers. I love all my listeners, and they are all no disrespect. I just. Uh, <laughs> I can't take no more negativity. I'm gonna beat that so Look, bad. look, mayor, oh, mayor, oh, right, you're about oh, to go right, for it. Right, you're about right. to go for it. So, um, okay. So I'm gonna say goodbye to everyone. Thank you for watching. Um, this will be played on my Facebook page. If you didn't catch it all, go back and watch it all. Do you have anything else to say before we get off this little thing? Here? Thank you so much. It was a pleasure and an honor. And as I stated to all the listeners out there, um, I apologize for for the comments that I've made. Hope he is gonna be doing work. I plan on I plan on continuously growing. If you don't learn how to to adapt, then then you're never going to grow. That's true. All right. Thank you so much. This is Black Girl from Eugene.